do that. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Um, we'll make a start. I know a few people will drift in with teas and coffees and cakes if they can find them. That's absolutely fine. Um, but we'll get cracking. My name's Matt. Um, I'm part of the leadership team here at Real Life Church with my beautiful wife, Philippa, who's winking at me in the... Um, um, we have two children, Delta and Blue, who are out in kids' work, um, and we're very much a part of Real Life Church. We are definitely Real Life Church. We came here to be part of that church, and we, we love it. It's such a privilege um, to be here with you guys. Um, me, personally, I'm an assistant head teacher and a maths teacher at a local school, and before I kind of crack into the preach this morning, I just want to give a quick update, because the last time I preached back in December, um, apologies if you weren't here, um, but feel free to go and listen to it online. Um, I was talking about the fact that um, Jesus was number one. The Christmas series, what series was Jesus is number one. Um, and I talked about how Jesus was number one in the beginning, in the middle, and we talked about how Jesus will always be number one. Um, as part of that, I talked a bit of personal testimony about a job that I was applying for at the time. Um, and I said I wasn't sure if it was the right job for me. It was quite a big step, but I decided to go for it. But the confidence I had in doing that, because I was doing it with Jesus... Um, gave me a real peace. Um, and I sort of I stood up here and I said, if I get the job, I will praise Jesus and I will thank Jesus for that job because I know it's the right job for me and I know he'll equip me for that job. And if I don't get that job, I know that I will praise Jesus and I will thank him for not leading me or letting me go into a job that I wouldn't be able to do that wouldn't fit with my family and my church and my personal skills. As it was, I didn't get the job back in September, so I said thank you very much, Jesus, for saving me from something that I don't think probably would have been right for me. Um, but to cut a long story very short, um, two weeks ago I finally signed a contract with that school um, because over two months they basically came back and said, well, that job wasn't right for you, was it? But we want you, so we'd like to offer you this job instead. So we've spent two months rewriting contracts, jobs descriptions, getting that ready. I finally signed that contract, so I am going to work at that school where I thought Jesus was possibly leading me to. Um, but I'm very grateful to Jesus that the job I applied for wasn't the right job for me, but actually the school created a job that was right for me and suits me even better, suits my skill set much better, um, and everything. So I'm extremely grateful to God leading me through that process. But I know a few people have asked, and I've told a few people along the way, but I just wanted to stand here and thank Jesus for that, because I really trusted him in that situation, and he absolutely came through, um, and Jesus was number one in that situation. There was nothing I could do in that situation other than sit back and just reply to the occasional email to say, yes, please, I would love to come and work for you. Um, but all the behind-the-scenes stuff, the meetings, the conversations were completely out of my control. Um, but Jesus was good, and he's blessed me. So don't start till September, but I'm very excited. So that was a quick, quick update. So thank you, Jesus. Um, today, following on from Jesus' number one, we're talking about this series, which is Jesus the King. So it's brilliant, because we get to stand here again, and we get to declare again how amazing our Jesus is. Um, we're following on from last week when John spoke about the coming king. He talked about the triumphant entry as Jesus entered the city. Um, and today our focus is the part of the story where Jesus tells the disciples what is about to happen on the cross. And he makes absolutely sure that we understand the, the consequence, the pivotal moment that is him going to the cross. And make sure we remember that for all time because it is such an important point in history. So I'm going to jump straight to the passage, which, if you want to, it's in Luke 22, verses 7 to 23. And it's the Last Supper. It says, Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. 
Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, Go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. He replied, As soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. They went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. But here at this table, sitting among us, is a friend, as a friend, is the man who will betray me. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die. But what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? The disciples began to ask each other which of them would ever do such a thing. Okay, so this is the passage we're going to look at this morning, just so you know where we're going. Um, When we've talked about this passage, we're going to talk about communion. We are going to take communion together this morning, and then we'll go back into a time of worship and kind of see what God wants to say and do amongst us this morning. So here is the scene. We've got Jesus, we've got the disciples, they're at the Passover meal. Jesus is eating with his friends, probably the closest people to Jesus sat around. Possibly not at a table like at the Last Supper, if you've seen kind of the Da Vinci painting where they're all sat along a table like that. This is a group of friends probably reclining around a table together, um, sharing the Passover meal together. So I quite like this picture that of having kind of couches around your table rather than upright seats, kind of reclining on one hand while we kind of eat and drink with the other hand. I think it's quite a nice picture, and I quite fancy that. Maybe we should do that at home, Phil. Um, so it's kind of, it, it's friends together sharing this meal together. The, the people that have been with Jesus the most, the longest, um, have spent the most time with him. Now, Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen on this night. We can see that because he sent Peter and John ahead and he's told them what's going to happen and absolutely everything has played out exactly as Jesus has predicted. Um, now, Jesus in this, all of these stories is fulfilling prophecy. So throughout history, throughout time, God has spoken through man to other man. God has spoken through these prophets Um, And this is the same God, because Jesus is God, who now comes and fulfills all of these prophecies. Um, So it's not kind of surprising, really, is it, that he's fulfilling all these prophecies, because it was God that spoke through man in the first time. And the key thing here for me is that Jesus' kind of history is built up to this moment. Jesus knew what was going to happen. He is here. Um, And he even says, I've been very eager to meet this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. Since the beginning of time... When um, Jesus was there at the beginning, creation, up until now, he's known this point's going to come when we would be restored with our Father, where our relationship would be restored and changed, and he's been waiting for that moment to come round. 
So what I'd like to do is just to pause at that point and just contemplate kind of what it is Jesus can see in his mind that perhaps the disciples were still missing. Because Jesus was there before creation, he'll be there at the very end for eternity. And Jesus kind of, as he sits there at this Passover meal, can see the whole of history. He can see absolutely everything. So I brought a few props with me today. Can I just say, I'm not, I'm not saying any of these things represent God, are as beautiful as the tabernacle or the temple was. I'm just using them as kind of visual aids for me to wave around to help me kind of explain what it is I'm trying to say. So please don't be offended if in a minute I pick up this scarf and say that I'm walking in the Garden of Eden with God, because God clearly isn't a pink and purple scarf. Um, so it's just a visual aid. Apologies. Um, so let's go back to the beginning, back to creation. If you want to know more about that, by all means listen to the preach from December, because again, we talked quite a lot about the fact that Jesus was number one in creation. But I just want you to picture that for a minute, because this is really important. When God created the world, when he created the heavens and the earth, he created man. And man and God walked together in the Garden of Eden. They walked together having conversations. They walked together looking at the beautiful creation, seeing the plants, the trees, the grass, the skies, the moon, the stars, the animals, seeing the animals for the first time. Everything that Jesus created, man was there to enjoy with him. And they were literally walking together. I don't know if they were hand in hand. Maybe they were having a kind of embrace, a manly embrace as they walked through that. But they were together in the Garden of Eden. And that's how God created man, to be at one in that relationship with him. But we probably all know the story. Um, God gave a very clear warning. There was basically one rule, and that rule was... You may eat freely the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. So there's Adam in the Garden of Eden with God saying, brilliant, there's one rule, fantastic. So what happens? Satan comes. He tempts man. Man eats apple and breaks the one rule that God had set in place. And at that moment, the relationship between man and God changed. Man had broken the one rule God had set in place. So man was no longer worthy to be in the presence of God. Man was now a sinner, and man had to leave um, the Garden of Eden. So God remained in that beautiful place of creation, and man had to leave. He was banished from the Garden of Eden. And suddenly, at the beginning of time, we find this separation. I can no longer walk in the same way as I could before, because man had sinned and taken the apple. So the gap exists. Suddenly, man was hiding from God physically. Man was hiding his sin from God, and he was separated from God. Now, we then enter kind of Old Testament history, and I'm going to look at Exodus a little bit on that journey. And I am just jumping into a few different little bits. Um, Moses was someone that heard from God quite regularly and quite a lot. Um, God spoke to him very powerfully. He led, used Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. And there was one point where God declared to Moses that he would meet him in a cloud up on the mountain. And he wanted to meet with Moses up on the mountain and he wanted to speak to him. And obviously Moses was quite good at following what God asked him to do. But again, there were some rules. 
And because of this separation between man and God, Moses couldn't just walk up that mountain and say, okay, God's called me, I'm going to go and have this conversation with God. But God said, to come to that mountain, you need to first of all go and cleanse all the people. They had to wash, they had to wash their clothes, they had to abstain from sex for three days. All part of the things that God told them to do just to be able to approach this mountain. And as the people went through all those things and they approached the foot of the mountain, God said, stop. And he said, you cannot touch that mountain. The mountain where I am going to appear to Moses in a cloud, so he can't actually see me, but I will appear in a cloud on top of that mountain, man cannot touch. And he said, if an animal strays onto that mountain, you must not touch that animal again. So if the animal touches the mountain on which God is going to appear, you have to stone that animal or shoot arrows at that animal, but you must not touch it. You cannot approach me. And for me, that just reiterates that separation between man and God. From that picture of walking in the garden to now I can't even touch this mountain on which God is going to meet with Moses. There is a separation. God said, only Moses is allowed to come near to the Lord. No one may see me and live. Our sin, the sin of man, means we cannot walk freely into that presence anymore. And while Moses was on that mountain, God gave him lots and lots of... um, descriptions and um, blueprints of how he wanted everything to be created. So part of the things they talked about, and this is a very poor representation, but when he came down from that mountain, he brought with him the tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments. Um, I know he broke those, he went up, he got the other ones. He came down and they were placed into an ark. And it's actually, when I first read the passage in Exodus, I thought, what is all this about? It's like Detail upon detail, isn't it, of the type of wood, the length of wood, the sculptures, all the different things. And this is nowhere near as beautiful, I promise you, as the way God described all this. But the tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments, were placed into the ark. They were placed on a particular table. There was a lampstand. There was a wash basin. There was all these different things. And that's kind of where the presence of God rested as the people walked um, across the desert and followed God. So because that's the place where the presence of God was rested, clearly man couldn't come into that place, could they? So once they'd designed everything according to God's um, structures, they had to walk backwards. And then God asked them to place curtain after curtain to stop man from walking into that most holy place where his presence would dwell. So then there's another division. Now this should be the most beautiful curtain ever, and there should be ten of them, and they should be blue and purple and scarlet, Um, but I've got a little bit of, well I think it's quite pretty, but there we go. That represents my ten curtains. And again, it's this separation between man and God. That is the place where God will dwell in the desert. He will come and he will rest above the ark of the covenant of that relationship, um, but I'm not allowed in there anymore because I am man and I'm separate from God. And there were other t- curtains and other temples. And I'm all the way back here with my wash basin. And then he said, I will anoint priests who will be able to intercede on your behalf and they will become closer to my presence. Okay, But in order to do that, they have to go through a whole series of rituals to even come near to me. So I've just got to pop back here quickly. And one of those rituals was always the lamb. Okay, and once Moses had checked everything off against these blueprints and all the tents were in place, the curtains were in place, he took the lamb and he sacrificed the lamb and he spread the blood of the lamb um, all over that to seal this covenant between him and God. Because God had said, if you make these things according to the way that I have described them and I've ordained them to be, 
Okay? I will keep my covenant with you. I will lead my people to the promised land. I will give them all the things that I have promised them. I will go with you and I will lead you. And Moses said, there is what you've asked me to create. So he sacrificed the lamb on behalf of the people. And he spread the blood of the lamb on the, all the different things he'd made there. And said, this is the sign. Blood will seal that deal that God has made with me. And that's not because he thought of that. It's because God says... Um, what did Moses say? Here we go. Moses said, look, this blood confirms the covenant the Lord has made with you in giving you these instructions. Blood from the sacrificial lamb was used to seal the covenant, to seal that relationship with God. So the way things were going to progress from that point on, man would be here, God would dwell in there. And from time to time, the priests would go through their rituals. I'll finish my story soon. Um, I've always wanted to wear some bells. The priests would go through the rituals And they would say, right, it's time for us to come before God, to pray to God, to intercede for his people, to ask for forgiveness, um, to worship him, to give him offerings and tell him how amazing he is. So the priests would wear all the clothes that God had said they must wear. Um, They would go through the rituals. The lamb would be sacrificed. The blood would be spread. They'd put some bells on their robes and they would walk into that most holy place. Now I'm hoping, because this is a picture, this is all going to go okay. And as they've done those things, now if all the rituals and all the things were put absolutely in place, all the sacrifices, all the incense, if my my robes I'm wearing are perfect, I've got all the right symbols, the right material and everything. As I walk and I approach that most holy place through the curtains, I should be able to come out again. But I've got the bells on my feet just in case. Because, because I'm an imperfect man, and I've cleansed myself in the way God has said, but if I've got it ever so slightly wrong, there's a very high likelihood as I approach the throne of God, I will fall down dead. And if I do fall down dead, you won't hear that anymore. And there's a rope behind me, and I would have to ask Stuart before I went in to listen out for me and to pull me back through those curtains, and I would have to come back through. And you might say, well, that's, that seems a little bit severe. But God is perfect. God is awesome. God created our relationship to be perfect. Man sinned and man broke that relationship, so we had to step back. So this lamb is good for a day, a moment. This sacrifice here, this blood, is good for a moment where I go in and I try and approach the throne of God and I hope I've got it right and I intercede with God and then I come back again. But then, the next day, I start again, and I have to sacrifice again, and I have to shed the blood again, and I have to go through the rituals again, just to cleanse myself enough to approach that throne again. And for me, it's just a picture of how absolutely spot-on perfect God is. He is pure and holy and blameless. God, the creator, his love is perfect, his power is perfect, his wrath is perfect, absolutely perfect. But I am not perfect. And putting myself back into the Old Testament like this, I'm just not free to approach his throne in the way that Adam was when he walked in that Garden of Eden. So we kind of step forward a bit. So Jesus knows, he's been there throughout history. He knows all of this. He knows how God created man and God to live together. He knows how man mucked it up and had to leave. He knows what man has had to go through century after century um, to approach the throne of God and to hear from God in the temple. Um, So then we come to the crucifixion where Jesus is going to be placed on the cross, where Jesus' life will be taken 
where Jesus will be the sacrifice. This lamb, we said, was good for a moment. The blood of this lamb helped us to come momentarily into the presence of God. But when Jesus was sacrificed, he was the perfect sacrifice. And when Jesus died on the cross, and when Jesus' blood was spilled, there was something absolutely beautiful about that, because Jesus is perfect. Jesus was sinless, he was blameless, and the sacrifice of Jesus is good for all time. This sacrifice was good for a moment. The body of Jesus, broken on that cross, was good for all time. So as the body of Jesus was broken on the cross, as it was his life that was taken, everything changed. At that moment that Jesus tells us to remember, as his body died on the cross, his curtain was torn in two. The curtain, the barrier, no longer existed. I was able to walk with Jesus through the curtain into the Holy of Holies, into the most holy place where the presence of God was. And through what Jesus did on the cross, his sacrifice, which wasn't for a moment, it was forever, for eternity, suddenly we can come back into the presence of God again. And suddenly we can get back to how we were meant to be and we can walk with Jesus again. We don't have to go through all the endless rituals now because the ultimate one has been sacrificed. Jesus perfect, homely, and blameless. And the blood of Jesus, as the blood of Jesus was shed, he sealed that covenant, not with the blood of the lamb that was good for a moment. He sealed that covenant with the blood of Jesus that was good for all time. So his body enables us to walk into this place. But the blood of Jesus says, that is my seal of my deal with you. My covenant, my new relationship with you is sealed by my blood. And no man can break that because that is the blood of Jesus. That is good for all time. And, and Jesus says, come boldly. He doesn't say now, just kind of crawl in it, but he says, come boldly. Come run into my throne. Come into my presence. Come as you are. Come with boldness. Come with joy. Come with sorrow. Bring to me whatever it is you need to bring to me. But once again, you can come back into my presence and you can walk with me daily. Which is why when we come to church on a Sunday, when we're in our cars driving, where we're, wherever we are in the world at any particular point in time, we are in the presence of God. We are no longer suffering the same separation that they had to go through in the Old Testament because we live in the New Covenant. And Jesus knew the importance of this moment. The reason Jesus had been looking forward to this moment, he'd been waiting for this moment to come around because he wanted us to come back to our God, didn't he? He wanted our relationship to be restored. Okay, so for Jesus, this is such an important moment. It's the whole point of our faith, isn't it? Where our relationship, where the New Covenant began. And in this passage, Jesus is telling us, remember that moment and remember why that moment was so important. So let's just pick that out from the the bits of the passage, Paul. So, verse 14 to 18. Jesus predicts he's not long for this earth in human form. I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. Jesus knows the plan. He told the disciples where to go and what was going to happen. He knows all of this. He knew it right at the beginning. He knew how it was going to play out. This is all part of his plan, and Jesus is fully in control. Verse 19, 
He tells the disciples, he says to us, remember my sacrifice, my body, with the bread. He wants us to regularly live a life of remembering that his body was broken. But not just that it was broken, but why it was broken. His body was broken as the ultimate sacrifice to bring in the new covenant, to change the way we interact with God. He wants us to remember that the ultimate price for sin was paid, and that relationship was changed once and for all. And then he says in verse 20, remember the covenant. Remember, this isn't something I'm just going to pull away. This isn't something I'm just going to change one day. I have sealed this covenant with my blood. And this is the blood of Christ. Fully man, fully God, fully perfect, fully blameless. But his blood seals that covenant. So when we drink the wine, when we drink from the cup together, as we will do a bit later on today, we need to remember that that is the seal. Um, As I was kind of preparing for this, I kind of... um, was thinking through, I don't think I was quite approaching communion in that way. I think I was kind of putting blood and wine together all as Jesus died on the cross, which it was. But just this sense that, that the blood was spilt to seal the deal. It was like the, um, the seal and the wax on top of it. It was the thing that said, this is the covenant. This is the way things are going to play out from now on. My blood is over that because I say this is final and that's the way it's going to be. And then in verse 21, 22, we come back to the end and Jesus predicts his betrayal. He knows that someone is going to betray him. It's not a surprise. He knows how the story is going to play out. He prophesied it thousands of years, hundreds of years ago, and it's going to play out that way. It has to play out that way. But again, Jesus is control and Jesus knows that plan. So this is, in my mind, kind of the big picture The king of this story, Jesus, at the point just before he's about to go to the cross, knowing what has happened throughout all history, knowing what life was like in the Garden of Eden, knowing what life will be like one day when he returns and we will take communion with Jesus when he comes back and his triumphal entry at some point in the future. So it's just kind of seeing that big picture as we take communion together. So, let's try and ground this in a bit of personal. That's, that's the picture that I'm kind of seeing in my head, that I kind of see riding over this story, the context of this story. Um, how, how does this affect us today? Well, I think it affects us in a number of ways. So, it's just a couple of possible applications from the story. Um, first of all, how do I remember Jesus in my daily life? Um, I think it's important because Jesus has said we must remember this moment. We must live a life with Jesus. Well, communion is one way, but there's plenty of other things we can do. Now, I am terrible at remembering things. Phil's going to start nodding. There you go. There it is. I knew it was going to happen. Um, I'm terrible at remembering things, okay? Um, I, I don't know. I just get caught up. Paul, be on a slide for me. The, um, the busyness of life, of work, of children, of family, of church, of God, of every, I, I, just, I just lose my way a bit. So I quite often write things on my hand. So if I'm at school and a student comes up to me and says, Sir, can I have your help with this situation or with this problem? I'll say, Yes, absolutely. Haven't got my notebook. So it goes on my hand. I'm terrible. I write things all over my hand. I write initials. I normally remember what the initials stand for, but I sometimes find myself back in my office going, What on earth does LF stand for? Who was that child that spoke? It could be one of 700 people. And I have to walk around until I find that person. Yes, I remember what that was, and now I need to do it. But I have to make myself little notes. Um, I'll give an example. Um, I won't give exact details, but 
I try to um, message Phil during the school day. It's something that I try to do during the day because I know Phil really appreciates it because it helps us to stay connected while I'm at work. Um, but sometimes I forget. And I literally, it's not because I don't love Phil. It's not because I don't love my time with Phil, that I love talking with Phil and being in my wonderful relationship and marriage with Phil. It's just because in the busyness of everything that's going on, sometimes I literally don't have a drink, I don't eat anything, I'm literally running from one thing to the next, and it gets to the end of the day, and I'm like, oh, oh yeah, there is a life outside of work, isn't there? And I just forget these things. So what I do is I, I set things in place during my day that trigger in my mind outside world. So I sit in my office, and I'm sure lots of you have done the same things. I have photos of my family around my computer screen. It just makes me think, oh, I have got a family at home. I have got friends at home. There is more to life than just being here amongst my workplace. And it just triggers little memories. There's other things I do, which I won't go into. But I've put, there's certain points in the day where I trigger in my head, message Phil, get my phone out, tell Phil I love her, just tell her what's going on in my day today, just work, build my, remember to build and work on my relationship with Phil. And I have to do the same thing with God. I love God. I love my relationship with Jesus. Um, but sometimes, maybe you're all perfect, um, sometimes I just get so busy in everything, I almost forget to include him in stuff. So again, I do the same thing next to my photos of Phil and my children. Um, I've got a couple of Bible verses at school just reminding me that God is with me. God has the strength to get me through any difficult situation. I look at that one quite a lot during the day. Um, but it's there, and it says it, and it reminds me, deep breath, pause. Yes, that's not a very nice situation, but God has the power and strength to get me through that situation. And I can pause, I can take five, I can pray, and then I can move on with my day. And I try and involve God in my life with little reminders like that. It's why we read our Bibles, isn't it? It's why we try and read our Bibles daily to work on that relationship with God, involving him in everything we do. Um, Again, I'm sure you do all kinds of things. We had the plaques from Mother's Day. The idea of those which you'd take those home and you'd put them on a wall or a cupboard somewhere just to remind you of who you are in God and how he sees you. Just little reminders of our relationship with God and our place in his kingdom. And the real life sign on the wall out there has truth about Jesus on it, about who we are as a church. I've been around many people's houses here, not everyone's, um, but I would say most people have got just little things around their home that just remind them about Jesus and who he is and how he's with us in absolutely everything. Um, if you haven't, you don't have to, but if you want to, I, I find it a really good way of remembering Jesus in my everyday life. Um, the other thing I do, being a school teacher, I always come home with ball pens in my pockets. I've always got a ball pen in my pocket, and I try and remember to take it back the next day, but I have got a pile at home I need to take back. So I write on mirrors and things. We've done this before, haven't we? Rather than to do less, you know, I am loved by God. There is nothing I can do to make God turn. You know, different things on the board that just help me as I wake up in the morning. But I write them all over the walls. Um, the kids sometimes write on the mirrors as well. Um, post-it notes, postcards. Um, we've said reading the Bible, Facebook. There's lots of ways to remember God. And I would encourage you in a couple of things. Um, oh, I was going to say as well, children. Obviously, we've got children. And we, we try to remember God in those things as well. And it helps me, because again, in the business of life, I'm not always good at pausing and stopping and doing things. But we know that at the end of the day, as we put our children to bed, we will pray with our children. And we will give thanks for the day. And we will look at the good things that God has given us, the situations, um, 
why we love God for our family, for our friends, and we will pause and we will pray with our children. Because at least if we know in the business of that day we haven't had another time to stop and talk about Jesus, we will do at that point in the day. And for me, that gives me at least, uh, well, at least I've done it then, I like to do it more. Phil is brilliant with creative ideas. She bought us all a very shiny journal. Um, these were our, like, thank, thank you journals, is that right? Um, just to give thanks. It was, the idea was we were going to record things we were thankful for, answers to prayer, things God had blessed us with, um, and those sort of things. Now, we haven't quite got into the routine of filling those on, in, but we need to. <laughs> and um, I need to be better at that. But I think that's a brilliant idea. And actually, the kids were really into it as well over Christmas. And they would get their journals out. Blue's never been one for journals, three-year-old boy. But in that journey, he wanted to get it out, and he wanted to put some stickers in it, and he wanted to say thank you to Jesus for some stuff in it. So it did help him in his walk. Um, just as part of that, to finish that section, um, I do encourage you to remind other people. So it's one thing, isn't it, to remember Jesus ourselves, but I think it's really good to remind other people. And I know we've got some brilliant people in this church that are very good at texting each other, phoning each other, WhatsApping, whatever it might be, each other. Um, posting Bible verses that have spoken to them on Facebook. But all of these things help us to involve Jesus. Um, I'll commend a mystery person from our old church who, uh, I don't know if she still does this, she probably does, um, but just from time to time she would send people these postcards. Um, this one says, have you any idea how loved you are? This one wasn't to me. It says, Philippa, beautiful lady, kind and awesomely talented. And these things just pop up on the doorstep. They've been posted. There's a heart on that one. There's a little message on there. We, you know, officially, we don't know who these came from. But they're wonderful little gems that just pop through the post box and say, wow, yeah, God loves me and someone else is praying for me. Somebody else is thinking of me in the kingdom of God. And I think there's real power in that as well, isn't there? Um, to know what you're doing. So if you are praying for people, tell them. Text them. Say, I'm praying for you today. Just don't know why. Praying for you. Or maybe you pray for them and you've got a verse for them. Pray for them, send that verse. But let's just involve God in everything we do. Um, so specifically for today, we're going to remember this moment with a communion. Um, it says in Corinthians, we should examine ourselves before we take communion. Um, the reason for that in this context was the Corinthians, as they seem to do in some situations, um, kind of took things a bit too far. Communion for them became a big party, a big celebration. People brought all their food. It became a big feast. Um, the rich would eat their food. The poor would go hungry. And it became a bit like that as the separation between rich and poor. So it kind of moved away from being about Jesus and the cross, but it came about you know, who could lay on the biggest feast and have the biggest party. So Paul, in that situation, was saying to the Corinthians, really, come on, guys, let's get this back to where it should be. And I'm not saying that communion's like that for us, but I think it's a, just a good model and a good reminder to check our hearts before we take communion. Communion, um, Stuart described it to me earlier, is kind of the... Um, the wedding, I'll probably get this wrong now, <laughs> but kind of the, the wedding band, the relationship between me and my wife is a very personal and a very real thing, and I remember that in certain ways. Communion is a relationship between me and God. I've given my life to Jesus, I've said I'm going to follow him, so I take communion to, as a sign of that, a symbol of that, to remember that. So if you're someone who hasn't yet given their life to Jesus in that way, um, I'd say probably don't take communion. Um, but to, to pause and to pray and to think about Jesus, to think about what he means to you. But just wait until you've really given him your all, when you've committed your life to him, and then come and take communion, knowing him in a really personal um, way. But I think it's good for all of us. You know, unconfessed sin, things we haven't brought before God yet, 
um, forgiving others? Is there something we need to go and talk to someone else about? I was praying to God this morning about a few things. I said, to be honest, I can't, I can't resolve all of that before I take communion today, but I just want to give it to you, and I want to say, God, I'm aware of this in my life. I'm aware that I need to deal with it. You're aware of it. I confess that to you, so I am going to take communion today. But I'm going to do that because I know I'm on a journey with you. I'm on a life journey. I confess this sin to you, this, this situation to you, sorry. And yes, we're going to work on it together. And I kind of thought, well, I'm working on that with Jesus. So I am going to take communion today as part of that journey. But there's, maybe there's little things like that you just need to talk through with God. Just get them off your chest with God. Be real with God um, before you take communion today. I've mixed up my pages in the wrong order. I know the last page. There it is. Okay. And finally on here, why should I get to a life group? Well, life group is part of what we do as church. Okay. We're coming into land now at the end of this, and we're going to go back into time of worship. But we have to say this. This is really important. Life group is part of who we are as a church. Um, As a member of Real Life Church, I come here on a Sunday. I go to a small group, a life group in the midweek. Um, and I meet with lots of other people in lots of different contexts. Generally, as a church, we take communion in life groups. Um, It's something we do. We feel it's important to get around the table together, to eat together, to take communion together, to pray together in that context, and to be real with each other. Um, So if you only come on a Sunday, communion is one of those things that you'll kind of miss out on. We do do it on Sunday from time to time, but we do encourage our life group leaders to be doing that in um, life group week on week. So it's really important we do try and get to a life group. And if you're not in one, talk to any of the leaders, anyone with a badge on at the door, talk to Stuart, Melanie, me, Phil, um, anyone about that, and we'll get you plugged into a life group. If I can ask the life group leaders this week um, to take communion again as kind of a follow-up to what we're doing today. Um, And I would say probably, because we go on a three-week cycle of life group, life group prayer, we probably need to do that two weeks in a row. Because I know a lot of couples alternate which week they go. So if you get to life group, think, wow, we did communion a lot. Um, it's partly for that reason that I might go the first week, but my wife might go the next week. And if I miss the communion week, I miss out on communion for kind of a month, don't I? So we, we do try and do it quite regularly in our life group. So please do get stuck in. So, um, Ben, do you want to come and start getting ready? I'll join you in a bit. <laughs> um, that was bad planning on my part. Um, so just remember this morning, we are going to take communion. But just remember for me, the bread, here we go, the bread symbolizing his body broken on the cross, which means we can now walk into that most holy place without having to turn away at stop at the base of that mountain. No longer do I have to leave this distance between me and God. I can walk with Jesus into that place because he has gone before me with his sacrifice. Remember as well that when we drink the wine, his blood was spilled onto that situation to, to seal that deal. We are in that covenant, the new covenant, the new relationship with God. Nobody can break that because the blood of Jesus has sealed that. Not the blood of the momentary lamb, but the blood of Jesus has sealed that. And I just encourage you in worship to, to make the most of that invitation of God to come boldly into his presence. Um, I encourage you to take communion this morning if you know Jesus and to come and to meet with him and be honest and real. Um, if, if you haven't yet made that decision to follow Jesus in that way, my closing comment will be this. There isn't a single person in this church that will tell you to go away if you approach them this morning and say, I would like to know more about knowing Jesus. 
I can promise you that. There won't be a single person that will think you're strange, you're weird, you're odd. They will probably give you a big hug and have a big smile and say, brilliant, let's talk about Jesus. Let's pray together. Let's work things through. So whilst we're doing communion, please interrupt it. Go up to someone, if that is you. If you've never said, actually, Jesus, I want to start the next part of my journey and I want to walk through life with you, learning more about you, trusting in you, building, deepening my relationship with you, please interrupt someone's communion, grab them, talk to them, say, will you talk to me, will you pray for me, will you help me um, to make that decision this morning? Um, and, I, and I absolutely promise you, nobody will say no to you. Will you, church? No. Um, okay, I've asked a couple of people, so we're going to sing a song um, just to focus us back on Jesus, or still keep focusing on Jesus. Jeremy, Roland, Aaron are going to come up um, after that song and start pouring the wine. There is non-alcoholic and alcoholic wine. There is bread. So towards the end of that song, Abby will give us a cue. If we um, move to those people, go and take the bread, take the wine, remember his body, remember his blood, and remember this is the covenant in which we live, which is very exciting. Thank you.